Morning everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Johannes. I've been married for 22 years now to my best friend Ali and we have three amazing children, the eldest of whom is now already 20. We have really been missing all of you and we can't wait for the day where we can meet again together on a Sunday morning for church and we can't wait to get together again for a couple of good socials. Now, for those of you who do know me, you will know that this is uh, my first time on the One Hope pulpit, albeit a virtual pulpit. And the main reason for that is that I really have a fear for public speaking. But God has been doing uh, a work in my life in this area. And a couple of years ago, I just had the sense that there were certain areas where God wanted to use me, where I needed to be able to speak in uh, public and that my fear of public speaking was a real handbrake and I prayed and asked God to heal me of this and I really feel that he has done an incredible work. Um, some of you might guess what happened after I prayed for healing. Soon after that I started to get a few invitations to speak uh, in public in the work context and um, invitations that I couldn't wriggle out of and uh, it was incredible from the outset it was very clear to me that God had done a work in the past, um, I struggled to speak even in front of even 15 people. I would often just clam up and freeze up. Um, but after I prayed for healing, uh, from the very first time, um, I was able to speak in public. I was still nervous and I was by no means or am by no means an accomplished public speaker. But at least now I am able to speak in public, which I am very grateful for. And uh, yeah, I'm also grateful that this is my first message now, my first a sermon that I can preach it on an online pre-recorded message which is far less daunting so I'm grateful for that. Now the last while I've been reading the book of Isaiah in my times in the morning with God and last week I was reading Isaiah 40 and as I read it I was just really encouraged by what I read. I was so challenged and encouraged by what I read that I felt I really wanted to share some of this with you. So um, I want to start by reading a section for you uh, from Isaiah chapter 40, um, the last section of Isaiah chapter 40 from verse 28 to 31. Uh, this is probably the most well-known section of Isaiah chapter 40, of, uh, 40 um, and, and many of you may know this section. Now the book of Isaiah is a book in the Old Testament and it is a book written uh, specifically uh, for the Jewish nation in the Old Testament. But for us as Christ followers today, we have also all become part of God's family in the same way that the Jewish nation was a chosen, chosen nation uh, and is God's family. So this book of Isaiah is equally applicable to all of us today. So I want to read to you uh, to start out with Isaiah chapter 40 verses 28 to 31. It says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So this is such an incredible promise from God to us as his children that we will walk and not grow weary and that we will soar on wings like eagles. 
But as I read this, I realized that often I don't really feel like this. Often I feel, uh, if I'm honest, sometimes I feel a lot more like a limping lame duck than I do a soaring eagle. Um, and as I read this, uh, I began to wonder, well, why is that that I sometimes don't feel like a soaring eagle? And I think that there are, if we read the beginning part of this Isaiah chapter 40, there are a lot of answers to that question as to why we sometimes feel more like limping ducks than soaring eagles. So I just want to unpack that a little bit. And I want to um, speak to, I want to talk to two groups of people. First of all, I want to speak to those of you who don't really know God. So maybe you're not even sure if there is a God. Uh, maybe you believe there is a God, but you don't know much about God, or He's not really part of your everyday life. Um, so for those of you who don't really know God, I've got bad news for you. These beautiful promises that we see at the end of Isaiah chapter 40 are not for you. Um, well, not yet, but they can be. And so where all of you will experience God's common grace, so the rain rains on everybody, the sun shines on everyone. But if you don't really know God, you won't experience the guiding hand of God specifically as a loving father in your life. So I want to start by just reading um, two verses here from Isaiah 40 verse 25 and 26. Uh, for those of you specifically who don't really know God. And it says, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one? And who calls forth each of them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Now, I am uh, an avid weekend warrior, mountain bike rider, uh, and most Saturdays you will find me out in the trails around Stellenbosch. And as I cycle in nature, whether it be Yonkers Hook, whether it's Botleray Hills, whether it's uh, the Helderberg Mountains, as I cycle every week and I look at the beauty of God's creation, if I look at the magnificence of the mountains around us in Stellenbosch, um, I truly believe and can only believe that it is an almighty God that created all of this and that it is impossible that the beauty of this creation uh, was created by a cosmic accident. So I really believe that this earth is created by an almighty God, by the almighty God. And that is what we read here in verse 25 and 26 of um, Isaiah chapter 40. Now, Often when I speak to people who don't really know God, um, when I speak to them, I realize that many people have a terrible misconception about how we relate to God. Uh, and how many people will verbalize this is they will say something like, well, one day um, when I get to the pearly gates, um, I believe that God is going to take all of my deeds throughout my whole life and he's going to effectively weigh them on a scale and if all of my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds then I will be acceptable to God and God will let me into heaven. Well I've got news for you that is not what the Bible says and that is not the truth of the Bible. The truth of the Bible is far more wonderful than that and there are many places that speak in the Bible of how we relate to God and I want to read just one of those um, 
to start with, which is just a little bit further on in Isaiah in chapter 42. Now, this section that I'm going to read to you from Isaiah chapter 42 um, is a prophecy about Jesus. Now, a prophecy is really just a message that God gives to a messenger. It's a message that God gives to a messenger directly to convey to other people. So this section of Isaiah 42 is a prophecy that God gave to the, gave to the prophet of Isaiah before Jesus was even born. But it is a prophecy about Jesus and about um, the job that God gave Jesus to come and do on earth. So I want to read these two verses to you. Uh, and they are equally applicable to us today. You will see that this refers here to Gentiles. Now, Gentiles are people who are, they are non-Jewish people. So most of us sitting here listening to this message today are, are Gentiles. We are not Jews. So you will see that this prophecy speaks clearly to us in as much as it does also to the Jewish nation. So it says here, I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. So what God is saying here through the prophet of Isaiah is that he has sent Jesus to release us from captivity. So what does that mean? Well, we are captive to our sin. And because of sin in our life, it is as if we are sitting in a dark dungeon and God has sent Jesus to release us from that dungeon. Now that sin in our life, there is no ways that in and of ourself, in our own strength, we can overcome that sin. We can never be in and of ourselves good enough to make ourselves acceptable to God. Now the God is perfect. God is absolutely sinless and perfect. And the only way that we can come into right relationship with God, the only way that we can have a relationship with a perfect God is if we ourselves are perfect. And we, as you can imagine, it is impossible for us, no matter how hard we try, to be perfect. An illustration which really illustrates this for me well. If you can imagine, if we were to take a number of people and we were to drop them in the ocean, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, let's say 3,000 kilometers away from land. No matter how good a swimmer um, those five individuals are, no matter how well they swim, not one of them could swim to safety. The best swimmer, if he was a really, or she was a really fit, trained, long distance swimmer, might be able to swim 30 kilometers but they would still be 2,970 kilometers away from land. The worst swimmer might almost drown immediately. Uh, but either way, uh, every, all of those swimmers would still be, give or take, 3,000 kilometers away from safety. None of them could swim to safety on their own. So the only way that they could be saved is if a rescue helicopter came and plucked them out of the ocean and flew them to safety. And that is really the role that Jesus has come to play in our lives. It is Jesus who saves us and it is Jesus who takes us out of captivity. And how has he done that? What Jesus has done is he has taken the penalty for the sin that we deserve. And because he's taken the penalty for that sin on himself, 
God sees us as sinless and perfect and because of that we can now have a right relationship with God. So Jesus is effectively the rescue helicopter that has come and plucked us up out of the ocean and because he's done that, he's done all the heavy lifting, Christianity is not a religion, a burdensome religion of trying to be good enough. Jesus has done all the heavy lifting for us. So if anything which I have said now, um, if you don't know God and anything which I've said has stirred something in you, I really want to encourage you to do something about it. We read in Jeremiah 29 verse 13, it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. So God promises that if we seek him, that we will find him and he's not far from us. He is waiting for you to seek him and he is waiting to open your eyes and to reveal himself to you. So if today this has stirred anything in you, I really want to encourage you to seek God and we would love to walk this journey with you. So our contact details are going to come up on the screen now and we would love you to contact us and to walk this journey with you. Now, secondly, I would like to speak to all of those who are Christ followers and who know God and who follow God. And you will remember at the beginning I was saying, well, often as Christ followers, we feel a lot more like limping lame ducks than like soaring eagles. And I just want to look uh, again at why is that for us as Christ followers that we often don't feel like soaring eagles. And there are... I believe there are a lot of answers to this. If we look at the beginning section of Isaiah chapter 40, there are a lot of answers. Um, so I want to unpack that a little bit. So I'm going to read a few verses here from the beginning of Isaiah chapter 40. Um, I'm going to read verse 6 to 8 and then verse 15 and 17. And it says there, All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket, they are regarded as dust in the scales. Before him all the nations are as nothing, they are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. So these verses that we've just read, I believe, give us some answers as to why it is that often we feel a lot more like limping ducks than soaring eagles. And I think the first answer that we get is if we read here, all people are like grass. And I think often we have this overinflated sense of self-importance and we are far too wrapped up in ourselves. We all forget that we are just like grass. And we are far too wrapped up in ourselves rather than focusing on God as the Almighty God. And I think that is the first reason why we often feel like limping ducks. I think the second reason is that we are often far too wrapped up in the things of this earth. And if we read here in Isaiah 40, chapter 40, in the beginning in these verses, it says that the things of this earth are like dust, like less than nothing. But far too often we are far too wrapped up in the things of this earth and too concerned about the things of this earth. Romans 1 verse 25 says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator 
who is forever praised. So what, do, what does it mean when it says we worship created things? Now God has given us all things on this earth to enjoy. But when we take the things of this earth and when we put them above God in our life, when those things take on greater importance in our life than the eternal things of God, then effectively we are worshipping those things. So anything that we put above God in our life, uh, effectively we then worship those things instead of God. Um, and the Bible also refers to those things as idols in our life. Um, so many of you, when you think of an idol, if you watch Survivor, you might think of a little uh, wooden image which is made by man. Um, but God also says, uh, it talks in the scripture about anything in our life that we put above God, effectively then we worship those things. And then the Bible also refers to those things as idols. So what are some of the things in our life that we sometimes place above God in importance and that we then effectively worship? Well, for some of us, it might be work. Um, so where our work or our career or our businesses are more important to us in our life than the eternal things of God in our relationship with Him. Um, for other people, it might be your relationships with, other, with, with significant people in your life. It might be your relationship with your wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend, or it might even be your children, um, that you place these relationships above God in priority in your life. For other people, it might be pleasure. Um, so, for example, it might be your hobbies, uh, which are far more important to you than God in your life. And for yet other people, it might be material wealth, and it might be the um, prestige that wealth, wealth gives you or the things that money can buy. Um, so all of these are things in our lives that we often put above God in our lives in importance. And effectively then, uh, those things become idols in our life. In my life over the years, God has made me aware of a number of idols in my life. And uh, a significant idol in my life that God revealed to me uh, just over a decade ago when I was in my mid-30s. Uh, Ali and I were immigrating from Zimbabwe to South Africa. And it was a time where I felt I was fairly well established in my career and I felt that I was ready to hit the big league. And we came to South Africa and I accepted a job heading up a fairly big company with over 300 employees. But what I didn't realize is that the company was in deep financial trouble and that the company had significant structural problems. And very quickly the wheels started falling off. And this was a really difficult period in my life. And after I resigned from that job, um, I was really on my knees and it was at that time I was on my knees in prayer and just working through the struggle in my life and God revealed to me that work had become an idol in my life. And as I prayed to God and just praying into the future, um, I really started praying to God and asking that my career, that I would really be able to devote my career to God and that I would be able to uh, commit my work to Him and glorify Him through my work rather than uh, a situation where work was an idol in my life. Uh, and praying into that, um, since then it's been an incredible journey. Um, the first job that I took after that, I took a 50% pay cut. Um, but since then, uh, it's been the, the opportunities that God has given me have been so amazing and I found so much fulfillment in my work and I've been so grateful for what God has done in my life in this regard. 
currently uh, an idol in my life or a potential idol in my life which I believe I need to be aware of is the idol of comfort. Um, I think for argument's sake if God were to ask me today to go and serve him in Polokwane, I think my first reaction would be a lot more like Jonah when God asked him to go to Nineveh and Jonah ran in the opposite direction and I think that's kind of my would almost be my initial response. I wouldn't want to leave the comfort of this amazing life that I have in Stellenbosch with all the incredible schools and my friends and this amazing fellowship that we have in One Hope. I wouldn't want to leave all of that to go to Polokwane and I think that just shows that there's a danger that these things might become an idol in my life. And um, I think for all of us um, there are different things in our lives that we need to be aware of that can easily take uh, a place of importance above God in our life. Um, now, why is it that we so often battle with these things? Why is it that we so often um, are tempted or tend to put other things in our life above God in importance? And I think a big reason for this often is because of Satan. Now, the Bible talks about Satan as the father of all lies. And the big lie that Satan sells us in this regard is that these things will satisfy us and will give us satisfaction. And he sells us the lie that these things are the things that we ne really need and these things are the things that will make us happy. But that is a lie. The things of this earth can never satisfy us. And the only thing that can truly satisfy us is God and being in relationship with God and the things of eternity. Those are the th things of true value and the things of true importance that can truly satisfy us. As we read earlier in Isaiah chapter 42, when we come into relationship with God, um, it's as if um, He sets us free from that dark dungeon that we are trapped in. But I think as Christians often, when we choose to keep trying to find our satisfaction in the things of this earth, while God has opened the door of the dungeon, it's almost as if uh, the door is open and we're free to go. But it's almost as if we stay sitting in that dungeon, trying to find satisfaction in the things of this earth, rather than walking out. The door's open, we're free to go. But rather than walking out and living in the freedom and the joy of all the eternal things that God has given us to enjoy, uh, we stay trapped in that dungeon, trying to find satisfaction in the things of this earth. Now, don't get me wrong, when we live like this, um, we are still going to go to heaven. God will still accept us into heaven. It's not a matter of salvation, um, but we are not living in the joy and the fullness of all that God has for us. Um, so God is gracious and thankfully He forgives us all of our sins. Um, if we read in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 12, it says, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. So, to the extent that we live our lives concerned only for the temporary things of this earth, it is like we are building with wood and straw. 
And yes, we will be saved and we will enter into eternity with God, but only as one escaping through the flames. So we don't want to live our lives now only concerned with the temporary things of this earth, which cannot satisfy us. Uh, if we want to soar like eagles, we need to live our lives for those things that have eternal significance. And first and foremost, we need to live our lives focused on our relationship with God, because that is what truly brings satisfaction. So I also don't want you to hear this message and think that God isn't concerned at all about the things of this earth. God loves each one of us intimately and he cares for each one of us intimately and he is concerned about the earthly details in our lives and he does want to provide for us in all of these things. But all of these things just have to take the, the right place in our lives um, underneath God in importance. So all of these earthly blessings are here for us to enjoy, uh, but they need to take the right place in our life. So um, if we read Matthew 6 verse 31, it says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So these verses tell us that we need to seek first God and His kingdom, and then all these other things will be added to us as well. So I really want to encourage you today, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, Seek first the eternal things of God. Seek first that relationship with God. And as you live in that, then you will truly experience the reality of living in the promises that God gives us in these verses at the end of Isaiah chapter 40. This beautiful promise, which I want to read for us again in closing. It says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So let's close in prayer together. Lord, I declare that you are the almighty God and creator and the king of this universe. Thank you, Lord, that you want to have a relationship with each one of us, Lord. And thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Thank you, Lord, that our relationship with you doesn't depend on our own efforts and our own abilities, Lord, to be good. Thank you, Lord, that it is through what you have done for us that we can come into a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray for every person today that has heard this message that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray that in your grace and your mercy that you will reveal them yourself to them, Lord. And I pray that they will come into a relationship with you, Lord. And Lord, for every one of us who is your child, Lord, who knows you, but is not living in the freedom, Lord, that you give us, that is not soaring on wings like evil, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will convict us of those idols in our lives, those things that we've put above you in importance. I pray, Lord, that you will give us the strength to lay those things aside, Lord, 
and to put you first in our lives, Lord. And I thank you that you promise, Lord, that as we do that, that we will soar on wings like eagles. Thank you, Lord. Amen.